Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Grant Bolton here. So glad to have you here with us for the Speaker Lab podcast, episode 456, where I'm going to be joined by Mike Montague, a uh, speaker, podcaster, and game show host. Yes, that's uh, something a little different that we haven't had before. Uh, Mike's a pretty unconventional guy, but we speakers are an unconventional bunch, uh, so that should really come as no surprise. He's a man of many talents. He hosts a podcast called Playful Humans, helping burned out people figure out how to have fun again and play for a living. If you need someone to spice up an otherwise boring workshop, seminar, corporate event by adding a little bit of fun and a little bit of magic, you definitely want to have Mike on your radar. Now, some speakers love being their own boss, being total solopreneurs, but others like having the stability of an employer. And Mike is actually one of those guys, though it doesn't detract from his entrepreneurial drive at all. So on top of his game show gigs, his personal speaking and podcasting, Mike works for a prominent sales and leadership company heading up their content marketing department. Now, with so much going on, he has to really take great care to manage his calendar, make sure that every gig is worthwhile. So he's going to walk us through what that process looks like for him. Since Mike loves getting behind a microphone in an atypical settings, it's only natural that he has a lot of great wisdom to offer our listeners who might be interested in thinking outside the box whenever it comes to their speaking career. He's also coming in hot with tips for engaging your audience in all sorts of fun and creative ways, whether you're giving a keynote or leading a corporate seminar or hosting a game show. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Mike Montague. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we're chatting with Mike Montague, talking about his speaking journey, podcasting, and uh, how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together for him. So, Mike, thanks for uh, joining us today. Hey, so great to be here. Anybody watching a video clip, apparently bald heads look good on a Navy background. We've established that uh, already, so I appreciate you confirming that for me. We both spent a combined none minutes on our hair today, and yet we still look so beautiful. It's just, uh, you know, the people in our That's lives right. are very lucky to have us. So, uh, hey, let's start with this. Why don't you give us a little bit of context on your business and, and what you do, and specifically, how does speaking fit into the mix? Well, I do a lot of stuff and speaking, I would say, is a big arm of it. It's probably where uh, a significant, at least a third of, of my income and, and stuff comes from. So I host game shows, which I don't know if you count as speaking or, or not, but as a performer, I love to do that live and virtual. I've hosted game shows for the biggest companies in the world, like Google, Facebook, Qualcomm, uh, all of those Silicon Valley companies. I've also done sales training and more uh, you know, specific speaking and training gigs for people like Uber and Thermo Fisher Scientific and large companies that do sales training through a company called Sandler that I work for full time. And then I do sort of an in-between and that's the magic uh, for my company at Playful Humans where I do like 
energy building, team building events and uh, conference energizers and MC gigs to help change the pace of a long, boring, you know, uh, HR seminar or um, a conference that's an internal conference or sales kickoff where you have uh, leaders who are not trained to speak going for hours and hours. I get to come in and change the pace. So I'll do a little game show, a little content, uh, you know, kind of stack on both. And it is a whole lot of fun playing between those things. Very cool. Now, how did you, what did you do prior to all of this? What'd you do in a past life? I have had a lot of different jobs. So I, I always try to keep these answers concise on the podcast grant and it never works right. But um, as far as performing goes, in when middle school, I wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to be cool, be a radio DJ. Uh, so I did that when I turned 21. I started hosting karaoke shows and DJing and bars and clubs. And I worked my way into a prize guy gig on the retro radio station here in Kansas City. And then eventually to my own show on Mix 93.3, Kansas City's number one hit music station. And uh, I found out that that job is not quite what I thought it was. Uh, you know, yeah. Fifth graders pick shitty careers. <laughs> so apparently uh, the, the pay was bad. The hours were even worse. And you could tell the funniest joke you ever thought of and nobody would laugh at it. It would just yeah. be crickets or maybe one phone line in the corner would light up and flash and it'd be my buddy on his way home from work saying, hey, that was funny. I, I caught that one. And you're like, oh, great. Glad, glad somebody liked the it. Audience of one. Yeah. Which is what you're trained to do in radio and everything is talk to one person and, and broadcast. Uh, but it did bring up some really great skills for me now and in virtual training and speaking and podcasting that I get to do now. I definitely leverage all those things. But I found I really love the live performances. So karaoke, hosting trivia nights that got me into game shows. And I was on the radio right when social media blew up. So I wrote mm -hmm. a book on LinkedIn. It's called LinkedIn the Sandler Way. And that got me the attention of the Sandler corporate team and their their national and international training team. So social media was kind of my way out of radio and into more sales and marketing and putting myself out there and, and finding a way to carve a niche out. So really social media and AI is a lot of the stuff that I, I speak on now. Interesting. So when you were you're doing some of the hosting stuff, doing some of the MC, doing some of the game show, uh those are all um, definitely like variations of, of speaking and some that you don't often see. So how do you transfer from that to, hey, rather than just being the, um, the MC, I would love to, to be the guy and be, uh, be the person that, that's up there speaking. Uh, did you ever feel like um, you had even imposter syndrome of, hey, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just supposed to do the MC thing, which is nothing wrong with that. Like there's plenty of opportunities that exist for yeah. like really quality MCs, but when did you start thinking about maybe I could maybe I could uh, also speak? To me, they are all the same thing. So whether yeah. it's a, a podcast or a game show or anything, I just feel like I never turned down a chance to be behind a microphone. <laughs> and that's kind of what I, I love doing. I consider them all speaking and some of them pay more than others at different times. So I'm sure, you know, you've been around long enough that it might be a free keynote gig that I'm giving for a really targeted audience that I'm going to get some really good tape on and a video and they're going to take professional pictures and it's just a great deal for me and it's down the street. Or I might get paid a whole lot to do the MC gig and it's over three days and the company's paying me thousands of dollars to go and just be the MC. So I don't really, you know, judge them one way or the other, but to answer the, uh, 
imposter syndrome question. Absolutely. I think everybody does. Um, I've been comfortable now. It's uh, over 3000 performances that, that I've done a, of some kind and there've been disasters and there's been really good ones. And I think the subject matter uh, matters to me a lot. So if I'm comfortable, like I said, in social media or AI, there's no imposter syndrome. I know that I know what I'm talking about and I'm bringing it. If somebody asked me to do something outside my swing zone or to an audience I know nothing about, that's kind of when I, I start getting worried. And then I'll tell you a couple of my favorite stories here in a, in a second. But I think those doubts te- tend to creep in the higher the price tag goes or the bigger the audience goes. Yeah. So even if I'm doing my sweet zone talks, if it's for a larger audience than I've ever had or a bigger name event, like speaking at HubSpot Inbound or ATD yep. and Barack Obama's opening up on day one and I'm appearing three days later, you're like, am I on the same stage as Obama and uh, yeah. Oprah? Like, this is ridiculous. This can't be right. Um, and uh, I like to say that they opened up for me. But um, it's true. I got to tell you about my my biggest failure because this is my favorite speaking story to tell uh, of all time. Uh, Billy Idol was coming to Kansas city and for anybody, you know, under 30, Billy Idol, uh, did white wedding, money, money, uh, you know, a lot of big hits in the eighties. This was in the mid two thousands. So it was an all like soccer mom crowd. And I thought like, these are my people I can, I can entertain some soccer moms with some retro music. I was on the retro radio station at the time. They, his opening act got sick. They asked me to open up for him. So I got to DJ on, on stage and open for Billy Idol And I met with him and his manager and they gave me like three rules. They said, uh, it's a rock show. So play mostly rock music. Whatever you play on the radio is fine. Retro. And don't play any Billy Idol songs because we'll play those later in the the show. I was like, perfect. I got this. And again, I was young and dumb and kind of didn't know any better. And I just thought like no imposter syndrome. I'm pretty sure I can nail this gig. I get out there and I play like two retro songs. I'm thinking Billy Idol, like, you know, Jenny 8675309 or Jesse's Girl. And, and the crowd's all getting into it and everything's fine. But the manager comes out and goes, we said rock music like the Rolling Stones. And that's when I panicked because I don't know about you, Grant, but there's only two rock songs you can dance to in a club. It's you shook me all night long and pour some sugar on me. And this is in the time of CDs. I didn't have any other backup music to bring. Uh, so I uh. play those two songs and I buy myself like, you know, eight minutes to frantically look for other rock music. I think I found one Rolling Stone song. And now I'm like, let's say 18 minutes into this 45 minute long set. And I go, well, I'm going to have to play another retro song, but at least I've played three rock songs in a row. I can probably change it up. Yeah. So I played another song. I played Casey and the Sunshine Band, do a little dance, make a little love and get down yeah. tonight. Because I like to make the joke, save the making love for the end of the night. You know, we, we want you could feel free to get down and to do a little dance, but don't make love, uh, you know, while we're all here in public. And I play the song and then doosh, the lights come down. The my soundboard goes off. I have no control over anything. And I'm standing on stage in front of thousands of people. And I was just fired. And I look over to the side and Whoa. the manager's like, you're done. And I left, did not pass go, did not collect $200, just fired live on stage in front of about 5,000 people by Holy Billy cow. Idol. What did uh, they say to you afterwards? Uh, they didn't say anything. Uh, the guy that cut me off said, sorry, man, as I walked past the sound booth. And that was it. I packed up my CDs and went out the back door. And 
live to fight another day. So I did get to open for Frankie Valley and play Toby Keys Bar and Grill and stuff later. And I feel like I had my success at that. But the reason I love telling the story, not only because that's how I get paid for that gig now, since I didn't get any money, but also because that's the day I feel like I became bulletproof as a performer. There's nothing that can happen on this podcast today or on stage in front of a sales training group that's going to be worse than getting fired by Billy Idol in front of thousands of people. So I feel like now I'm at a point in my career where there's very little imposter syndrome. I feel like I can really go for it and and take big swings. I threw a water balloon into the audience uh, at a, a speaking event about five weeks ago, and it was hysterical. I had so much fun. I had no idea how it was going to go. Uh, but it's stuff like that, that I can take chances on now because yeah. I've done so many. Interesting. Now you, you mentioned that you're working for a, a company now doing some, uh, some training or, or also just kind of some MC work. So it sounds like part of your job, your day-to-day nine to five gig is, um, speaking, but also it sounds like you're doing some stuff outside, uh, on your own. So how do those worlds yeah. kind of blend together? Mostly anything that's sales and leadership training goes through Sandler. So they're an international training company. I do work for them full time. I host the podcast for them, all the live events, um, free webinars, marketing webinars, content stuff that that they do there and some internal corporate training as well. So they have um, a corporate training bench of like, I don't know, six or eight trainers now that I participate in and I get to do stuff for their big international and, and national clients. And then we have local offices that do sales training too. So there are over 400 trainers in that network, but I kind of lead the content marketing part of it. And most of Mm -hmm. what I do for speaking is for show and it's included in my salary with them. But occasionally I do the corporate training gigs or get other speaking gigs like HubSpot and others that, that come from partnership gigs there. But outside of that, I also work for two companies that do game shows and they book me on a regular basis. It's not very high pay. It's about a hundred bucks an hour. Uh, but I can do as many of those as I want. So I can fill in my calendar with all of that stuff. I just give my availability and get to go out there and, and do it. And then my own stuff I book on the side. So anything that's not related to those two, that's game shows or sales training. And they're really just looking for me to deliver a keynote or a team building workshop. I book uh, myself or through a speaking agent or partner, usually the referrals of somebody that saw me speak somewhere else. Now your core company, Sandler, that sounds like you're, again, it's kind of your nine to five that you do most of your work with. Um, How have you kind of navigated like, Hey, I'm going to speak for you, but I'm also going to speak not for you and do some of these other things because there's people that are in maybe a similar spot of maybe I work for a corporation, I work for a company, I'm doing some training, I'm doing something on behalf of the company. That's my salary, what keeps me uh, employed. But also, you know, there's some stuff I'd like to do or I am doing and I'm trying to figure out, you know, do I keep it secret? Do I tell them? How do I navigate that? I don't want to, you know, I don't want them to feel like I'm screwing them over or anything like that. So how have you kind of navigated that with with Sandler? Uh, Three things came to mind. The first one is it was really nice to have these set up front because I've always been speaking and performing. You know, I mentioned on stage since I was 21 and I started working for Sandler when I was 30. So Um, I was already doing other speaking engagements. So when I began working for them, I kind of said, Hey, you know, I have this stuff on the side. Do you care? And they kind of said two, two rules. One is if it's sales and leadership training, refer it to us and we can pay you to do the gig, but we want these to be clients of ours so we can manage it. And for me, it's a lot better to have an agent and somebody that's as a salesperson and a customer success rep following up with it. And I can just kind of show up and, and do the gig. So that works out great for me. The second one is, 
anytime I'm working for them, I'm working on behalf of them. So I, you know, anything that comes from that gig, I refer back to them and let them choose. Is this something you want to follow up on? Or is this something you want me to follow up on? And if it's more sales training or it's another big event or something that's tens of thousands of dollars, they'll keep going and working on that. And if it's something small, they're like, they want me to record a funny video for $500 or something. They're like, we don't care. Do that. That's not sales training. That's not us. Do your your thing. And I think having really good upfront contracts and, and agreements with your uh, workplaces is a huge deal because you don't want to keep it private. You want to share it all publicly and you want to be able to you know, see photos and promote events and be the headliner where they're talking about having you there and tagging you on social media and LinkedIn. So it's never going to be uh, a secret for me. But my relationship with the game shows is completely the opposite. They basically say that they have very specific thing that they do and they don't do anything outside of that. So yeah. they said, I can even promote what I do to that audience. So if somebody comes in for a game show and let's say uh, I've done lots of game shows for huge companies, but let's say it's like Hanes, uh, you know, Hanes underwear and activewear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing a show for them and they say, Hey, we need sales training or we need a keynote speaker. You'd be fun. I can just go and, and do that because it's not a game show gig. Yeah. So I try and stay uh, above board and, and clear and transparent with everybody, but it's really just about having those upfront agreements. And then I think having clear lines of what the, the boundaries are help a lot. Now, a lot of speakers, when we, we talk about speaking, typically it's a, you know, it's, it's a self-employed, it's an entrepreneur, it's a doing your own thing, but of course not everybody is wired to do that. And, uh, I would say like, I, I've been self-employed, done my own thing for 18, 19 years. Um, so I know I'm wired that way, but um, plenty of other people may be like, I love speaking, but I, the, all the other things that go along with it, are, I'm, I'm not good at or I don't enjoy or whatever. You seem to have found a, a, a job that works really, really well and allows you to both have the stability of a job, quote unquote, but also be able to, to do speaking internally and externally. So is there any advice that you would give for someone who maybe even before you got the gig was saying there of going like, well, I'd love I'd love some type of job where I could, I could speak and that could be not necessarily like, you know, every single day, but it's some part of my career. Anything that you did or didn't do that kind of led to the the gig with Sandler? Again, it's one that I've kind of always done in in my career. So when I I started out, um, the DJ and karaoke shows weren't quite covering the bill. So I always needed some sort of, of day job and I designed websites. That's part of the story I didn't cover, but I made websites for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. I started an online radio station and then later a podcast. And um, I was doing websites to kind of cover the bills as I built up my entertainment business. And I kind of learned throughout my 20s that I could shift those levers up or down based on what was going on. So if I was getting a lot of speaking gigs and weddings and getting paid great, I would go do that. If I wasn't, I'd try and hustle and get, you know, some more of another thing. But I've never had less than two jobs my whole life. And I call them all jobs, whether they're salary, retainer or or on demand. Like for the game shows now, I can do no events or I can do 2015 events in a week. So I get to decide. And I think those are kind of cool things, too. Sandler has some agreements with contract trainers where you're there's no retainer, no salary at all. You just work when you get worked and we'll pay you. Um, an hourly rate or a daily rate to go and, and do the speaking whenever you're available. I think those types of gigs and having any kind of regular recurring clients helps you have that base of stability and know that you're not going to freak out. And by having more than one thing, 
I've never felt nervous about being an entrepreneur that if, if Sandler went away, I'm confident I could make money doing my stuff or the game shows, or if the game shows went away, I don't have all the eggs in that basket and stuff. So yeah. uh, for me, it's always been fun. And I just think about them as different lovers. And, um, I am the kind of person that would rather work and speak than wait for like that big 10, $20,000 gig. So I would rather do 10, $2,000 gigs than one $20,000 gig. Not everybody's like that. Like you said, there's a lot of different ways to, to run it. But for me, I'd rather be working and always being doing something because then I'm getting referrals. I'm getting practice and all kinds of good stuff just comes from working that, that helps me a lot. Very true. Uh, all right, let's shift gears for a second. The hosting the game shows, again, is not one of those common things uh, that a lot of speakers do. I know a few speakers that have done that. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that. How does that work? If a speaker said, hey, that's kind of interesting. I've always thought that'd be kind of cool. I grew up watching game shows or I watch game shows today. I would love to incorporate that into my speaking. I'm already doing you know, some gigs here and there. Where do I even begin? What would that look like? Uh, kind of talk us through your experience there. Interesting. Mine has mostly been about auditions. So there are just open jobs out there that other people are looking for. And you just kind of audition and I treat it like, you know, Fiverr or Upwork or something where you're freelancing and I'm just a, a freelancer. I can go apply for gigs. I do other voiceover stuff as well. Not as much anymore. I used to do a lot more when I was in radio, read commercials and get paid for things like that, that again, I would rather be doing it and I'd rather get paid for reading an ad for a car dealership, then not get paid, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. So, but, but to, clar but to clarify, like if you, if someone was, a, was a speaker actively speaking and just wanted to incorporate uh, doing game shows on stage as part of what they were doing, uh, yeah. like how, what, what games are you doing? How would you incorporate that? How would you pitch that to a, a potential client? Talk, talk us through your experience there. Okay, so we need to clarify first that the games people see on television are copyrighted. So they are games similar to Family Feud, Wheel of Fortune, Price is Right, uh, Jeopardy, things like that. Um, I found that the games you choose make a big difference. There's easier to write your own questions and they're easier to perform for different size audiences than others. So the one that I don't like are trivia games because it's really hard to write good trivia questions and you never know how smart or dumb your audience is. So you could write really hard questions and have nobody get any right for an hour and it's not going to be very fun. Or yeah. you write really easy questions, which happens to be more fun and where I, I usually lean. But then if everybody's getting every question right, it's not a very fun game show either. Yeah. So I like the ones that have ambiguity, more of like the feud style where you know we're looking for the top six answers and some of them might be easy and some of them might be really hard. And there's usually enough mix of people in the audience that it makes it uh, fun and interesting. Um, the other one that I like a lot is the Wheel of Fortune because you're slowly discovering that clue. So some people might be better puzzle solvers than others, but you can at least like kind of pace that out a little bit and know about how long it takes to solve each puzzle. And they're not all like one spin and then you're, you're done kind of things. So when I talk with clients, I can also work in some of their content. So what are the top five features and benefits of their products? We can make that one of the feud questions or what's a slogan or something from the HR department that they want everybody to remember. Let's make that a phrase and wheel of fortune. And so by pulling in these really clear gamifications, whether it's into a regular keynote, that's probably where I, I start is uh, I'm just going to, if I'm doing a 45 minute talk, I'm going to work in three games every 15 minutes. I'm going to break up and, uh, 
do a, a puzzle solve or do a survey or do some sort of buzzer game and trivia just to change the energy and, and pace of the talk. Now, when you're involving the crowd, you're taking a massive risk, right? Uh, I remember mm-hmm. someone told me early on that that as a speaker, when you have the microphone, you're on stage, you you hold the power of the room. And when you share that power, um, things can go off the rails. Things can go really well. You can create these like raw, real, hilarious moments that could not be possibly yeah. scripted that are amazing, but it's a big risk. And so part of it is just kind of the improv of knowing kind of how to, to interact with the crowd and how to, you know, which people to pick, which people to avoid, that sort of thing. So uh, are there certain kind of like guidelines, rules that you just personally follow going, okay, if I'm delivering a keynote, I know I want to incorporate two or three games. What are the variables and factors in terms of maybe the size of the group? You know, I know like this, this game works really, really well. If there's less than hundred people, there's no chance it works. If there's, you know, <laughs> over 500 right. people or, you know, how the room is configured or if there's screens or what are some of like the, just the thought process that goes into what, what are you pulling out of your bag of tricks to do? Sure. Two or three things that I've learned along the way. And this has kind of been my career the whole time. So when you're dealing with drunk people and karaoke shows, it's an unpredictable environment. So I am very much battle tested for that. And that part doesn't scare me at all. But one tip I can tell you is do not give your microphone to somebody else. (laughs) Get a different audience microphone that somebody with the controls can shut off and you can get back to doing what you're doing and you still have the mic that you can overpower them. That's the number one way. As long as that's fine, I've been fine in all kinds of crazy uh, environments. Now, the second part of that, you're right, it totally depends on audience size. So I like polls that people can have different ways of of chiming in. So this large one I did where I threw the water balloon out and stuff, I had three ways people could participate. We had two catch boxes where people could stand up and say something in front of the whole audience, but that takes guts. There's a large amount of people that won't do that at all. Right. And so I also had a, a cell phone thing where they could go to the website and they could chime in the poll and they could chat and their answers would come up on the screen next to me. I like that one. There's still a little bit of risk because, you know, it'll block out curse words and things like that. But somebody might say something you don't want them to. Uh, Most of the time it's funny and it's a political joke. So uh, I've never had any real trouble. Um, The third way is participate at your tables together. So I'm not even giving anybody the microphone. I'm saying, you know, discuss at your table. What's the top five ways that we can use this product or, you know, top five audience, uh, audiences for this product. And I kind of have them discuss it and then I'll select a few people to be spokespersons for their table. And you generally don't have people throwing rocks at you when you, you do it that way. And it all depends in smaller groups. And when I don't have a microphone and, and stuff, sometimes people will filibuster you, but there are really great speaker tips. If you speak more, Uh, Here's my number one ninja move is when you ask a question, be fine with the awkward silence. Wait until somebody answers because somebody will rescue you. So Mm -hmm. you'll never have one where nobody participates. And then if somebody is filibustering and talking too long, walk up to them. If you walk up and stand right next to them, they feel pressure and that everybody's looking at them and you're close to their physical space. They will stop talking. If you stay back and you're just letting them have the floor and giving it to them, They'll take it as long as they feel like is appropriate. But it's a real subtle move that if you just walk straight up to somebody while they're talking, they will shut up. Yeah, <laughs> that's magic. good. When you do the that second tip that you talked about where you're doing some type of text in and then like yeah. maybe their answers appearing or it's kind of a poll type deal, any software or tool that you use for that? 
Lots of them. Uh, Aha slides and pull everywhere are two that I do uh, a lot. There are also game show things like uh, there's a trivia maker online where you can just use standard questions they have, or you can create those games that we talked about earlier where you have survey battles or, or other um, puzzle solves or, or trivia events. Uh, the one I like, I haven't really done very well yet is it works great with two teams and small groups, but Hollywood squares, I would love to do an event where we got like nine executives up on stage with me and they were in the squares and they had yeah. to answer. And then the audience had to guess whether they were right or wrong on the answer they give. I think that would be so much fun. Uh, but I need somebody to be able to be in the right mood, have nine cool executives and have a stage set up big enough to kind of make that work. Now, what do you do in those situations where, you know, part of the time, um, my assumption is where you're brought in to kind of MC or to do some type of game that some of it is like, you know, you want to include ideally some of the quote unquote higher ups or executives from the company. Ideally, you want them to be able to play along and uh, kind of poke fun at themselves or the company or their product or whatever it is versus just kind of being a, a stiff corporate suit. So what do you do in those situations where, you know, they're, they're very reluctant. They don't necessarily want to be there. They're not real self-deprecating, you know, because uh, you have people that are like, hey, I'm in, sign me up, let's do this. And they're all in and that makes it a blast. But when they're like super reluctant, it's, and they have to be there versus want to be there. It's just a different dynamic. So how do you kind of navigate that depending on who's up on stage? I never force anybody. I, I'm really easy to um, myself adjust and adapt to it. So if the executive won't do it, I'll keep moving down the line and be like, is there anybody in the leadership team or the event yeah. planner? Or can I find like, just ask the event planner, who's the, the funniest person. If I was going to pull somebody up on stage, who should I ask? And they yeah. all know who the class clown is. Right. And I would rather go to that person than specifically have the CEO. It is fun when the CEO does it, especially sometimes I do goofy stuff at holidays, like having people dress up or a costume party on Halloween. Like you need the leader to dress up in a really funny Halloween costume. And if you show that ahead of time or you make it clear that that's what they're wearing, everybody else will fall in line and feel comfortable joining in. Yeah. So it is a powerful move, but I don't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. And I never um, ask them to do something I wouldn't do myself. So I got to dress up in a funny costume if I expect yeah. them all to. Or I have to sing a song on stage if I'm going to ask them to sing, because I think that's what allows people to to walk into it. And that is one of the things that I learned in karaoke is if, if I sing a bad karaoke song first, everybody else goes, well, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, that was a terrible I, I'm better answer. than that guy. I, I can do better than that guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And more people. Now, what, what about in the situation where, uh, let's say you, you've got a group that you're breaking up into groups, to, uh, tables to discuss or discuss with your neighbor or whatever, any tricks, tactics that you use to get everybody back? Because oftentimes it's that trick of, uh, of going, okay, Okay, guys. Okay, guys. And, you know, and everyone's just yeah. still kind of, oh, one more thing, you know, and the, the conversations just kind of linger. And again, it's hard to kind of get some of that energy back and, and kind of focus. So anything that you do there just to kind of regroup? Yeah, again, there's a ton of tricks that you can use and you can probably just Google them or ask ChatGPT. But my two favorite are, uh, number one, the like clap twice if you can hear my voice. It's a, a crazy, uh, you know, kindergarten thing. So sometimes in audiences where they're trying to be professional or too cool, it doesn't work. But in really large groups, it works great because then the front of the room pays attention and everybody wakes everybody up. Yeah. Uh, the one that I use most, though, is most speakers and especially amateur MCs wait for everybody to be quiet before they start talking. 
if you just continue your presentation, people are going to realize pretty quick <laughs> that their time to talk is over and they're going to want to hear what you say. So yeah. that's my radio and DJ days. When you have drunk people and stuff, you have to keep talking whether anybody's listening or not. You just got to keep the show going. Uh, you know, a drunk audience on St. Patrick's Day is not waiting. You can't wait for them to get quiet before you make your announcement. You just got to go. Yeah. So I think that's my number one tool is I have a loud voice. So I, and I like a loud microphone so that everybody can hear me, but then I'll just say, all right, wrap it up. Give them a couple seconds, wait for that crescendo. And as soon as that volume starts dropping, I'll just start presenting. If you change the slide and keep talking, most of the time people will come in line. Any other final, before we wrap up, any other final words of wisdom, uh, as far as just incorporating, uh, games, activities, icebreakers, interactions, uh, into a, a speech. I say go for it. Even interactions that don't work usually give you an opportunity to talk about a lesson learned or or to make a funny joke out of it. And so I work and have accountability partners with magicians and other stuff. And there mm -hmm. are all kinds of outs that you can have when a trick doesn't work. So yeah. when you practice it enough, you'll you'll get better. But I say go for it. Have as much fun as possible and be different. If you just do a boring keynote, nobody's going to ask you to come do that again. Yeah. Right. If you're reading off a PowerPoint slide. So whenever you do something unusual, it gets you more referrals, great comments. And even if some people don't like it, not everybody has to get the joke. I just need a few people to, to laugh at my cheesy joke. And the final thing that I would share with everybody, if you're looking to be a speaker, is start speaking. Do it for free. Do it anywhere. Practice. I hate the compliment. You're such a natural up there or you're so relaxed. And go, you didn't see my first one 30 years ago. It was yeah. a mess. It was a disaster. So the only way I've gotten to be comfortable on stage is by going through all of that, that hell. So I mentioned the Billy Idol story, but I've been maced by police. I did show on 9-11, on 2001. I've done all kinds of crazy environments where fights broke out in bars and, and stuff and all kinds of stuff. But getting through all of that makes you the performer that you want to be. There's no way to magically be a good performer. You got to be a bad one first. So go get those out of the way as fast as possible. Yeah. Good stuff. Mike, thanks for the time. If people want to find out more about you and uh, what you're up to, where can we go? Playfulhumans.com is the website for me and my passion project. It's also a podcast. So if you want to hear how other people play for a living and other ways to, to make money outside of what you're doing, Playful Humans is available on everything. How to Succeed podcast is the one that I run for Sandler. I interview a sales and leadership leader. So if you're really trying to do more prospecting and outreach and book more gigs, that's a great place to start. There's over 600 episodes and it's been downloaded like 3 million times. So a very popular, fun podcast with, with big guests there. And um, anything else, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Mike Montague. You can find me. I'm happy to help and love talking with cool people. Awesome. Mike, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. You bet. Have a good one. Hi, friend. Are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. I want you to book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready, to take that leap. I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. 
Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.